And please take your Bibles this morning and join me in John chapter 20. John chapter 20. I'd like to speak to you this morning, really answer this question, what does the resurrection mean to me? What does the resurrection mean to us? We begin here in John chapter 20. There's really two reactions that people have to Easter, at least in our world today, in our culture. Most people understand that Easter is the day that Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the reaction to that is really, like I said, two ways. Some people say that, well, there's, there's no way I could believe that. That is a message for a past generation who was who was just just too superstitious. And, and while, I respect, while I respect the beliefs of others, I just couldn't believe that myself. But then there's another group of people, and those, and, and those are they who maybe they grew up around religious traditions, and they just kind of in the background of their life, they, they intellectually assent, they believe that, yes, Jesus did rise from the dead, but really it has no significance or personal meaning to them. And so our communities are filled with churches today that people will attend because they think, well, the resurrection of Jesus is probably true, but it really isn't going to change anything about the way I live my life. I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll have an Easter egg hunt with my kids. We might have some candy and a celebration, some good food. And, but really, on Monday, life will just be as it was on Saturday. Whether you're that person who's skeptical and says, well, I'm just not sure I could even believe in resurrection, or you're that person that says, you know what, it's, yeah, I, I believe that it happened, but it really hasn't changed my life. Well, I, if that's you, I'd like you to join us this morning in considering becoming that third person, and that is the one like me and like many of you here have come to believe with all your heart that Jesus is who he said he was that he indeed died on the cross, was buried, and on the third day rose from the dead. And it's not just some fact for a history book or a Sunday school lesson, but it's a reality and a truth that has changed our lives. And so I speak to encourage those who are already there, but also to provoke the mind and the heart and the thoughts of those who are not there yet. And what we'll do is we'll see in John 20, the very first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Read with me the first two verses. It says this, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early. When it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher, then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that you'd help us this morning as we look at the word of God. I do pray that you would challenge our hearts. I pray that you'd help us to be focused on the truth of your word. God, I pray that all any distractions would be removed, and I pray for those under the sound of your word this morning, for believers' hearts to be challenged and stirred. God, I pray that 
uh, if we've grown a bit cold or if we've grown somewhat indifferent, Lord, I pray that this Easter Sunday would be a pivot moment in our lives, that we would grasp fresh and with newness the reality of all that you've done for us. And then I pray for those who may not know you as their Savior. God, I pray that today would be the day that they give their lives to you, that they put their trust in you. I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you noticed in verse number one, it says it's the first day of the week. It's Sunday morning. Now, the timing of the day was just before the dawn. You see, Saturday was the Sabbath. And so there was no work that was to be done in the Sabbath. Jesus' body lay cold and dead in the tomb. It had been that way for three days. And now that the Sabbath was passed, some of the women in John's gospel, we just Mary focused on. Mary is the one who gets the focus. If you read the other accounts, you'll find there were other women there as well. But they came to, their, their plan was to get up early, just it would have been just past six o'clock because on the Jewish time, the day would have ended or the new day would have began there. And in the middle of the night at six o'clock, the, the day starts six uh, sundown. And so this is, this is before the day dawns. They come. So it's maybe a bit hazy. The glow of the sun coming up is there, and there's Mary. She's been in hiding for three days. They're locked away in a room somewhere. She and the, the 11 disciples and the other women that had been following, they're all locked away in a room. They, they don't want to be next. You say, what do you mean they don't want to be next? They, they don't want to be next to be crucified. For all they know, this is a purge. You see, for Mary and the disciples, the last three days have been a microcosm of the last three years. I mean, for three years, they've followed Jesus so closely. Mary and, and the disciples, they, they had never met anyone quite like Jesus. They witnessed him do miracles. They saw blinded eyes opened. They were there when 5,000 people were fed with just a few fish and some loaves of bread. They witnessed all of it. They'd even seen others raised from the dead. They'd seen amazing things. But not only that, they had seen thousands and thousands of people follow Jesus everywhere. The popularity of Jesus had reached an all-time climax. They'd seen Jesus in conflict with the religious leaders of the day. They had sensed that it was the moment that something significant was about to happen. The old order was about to pass away, and a brand new day was supposed to come. After all, all of the Old Testament prophecies were being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They believed with all their heart that this was their Messiah. Just the Sunday before, they had ridden on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem and people laid palm branches. And you might remember the story. They cried what? They cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us now. And they fully expected that Jesus would now overthrow the Romans send Pontius Pilate packing, set up his throne in Jerusalem, and they would be on, at his right hand as his chosen servants. That's going through the minds of Mary and the disciples on Sunday and Monday, Tuesday. But Wednesday, things start to change. And as the week progresses, 
things begin to change. Now they have an intimate dinner as they celebrate the Passover in the upper room. You've seen the paintings. You've seen the artist's depictions. They're in an upper room. They're close to Jesus. They have a, a moment of closeness with him like they've never had. They take a journey into a garden where Jesus prays, and then in just a few seconds, everything changes because there's a betrayal. Judas Iscariot has betrayed them. All of a sudden now they're surrounded by soldiers and Jesus has escaped every time anyone has ever come up against him. Up until now, Jesus has escaped every single time. But now they witness something they've never seen before as Jesus' hands are bound and he is led away to be tried. And then a few hours later, he's beaten. And the next thing they know, within 12 hours, they see him hanging on a cross, they hear his voice cry, it is finished. Now we know the significance of that statement, it is finished. We know that the price of sin was paid once and for all. But to Mary, as she watched Jesus and she heard that, those words, it is finished, she no doubt thought, is this it? Is it over? What have I lived these last, three these last three years of my life for? What have, I, what have I spent all this time doing? He's dead. It's finished. It's over. And then they all go into hiding because they think we will be next. We'll be next. And now, in the text that we read this morning, it gets even worse. Because not only has their life the life that they expected been completely ended. Not only is the man that they loved and they followed dead and buried, but now in verse number, verse number two, in verse number two, Mary comes after she's been to the grave. She comes back to the other disciples. She goes into the room where they're all hiding. She runs. She comes to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loves, and she says, they have what? They have taken. They've taken away the Lord. Out of the sepulcher. We know not where they laid him. He's gone. His body has been removed. Can I tell you, friends, the opponents of Jesus have never been able to produce a body. But Mary doesn't realize what's happened. She's not sure. She's confused. They're all confused. The body is missing. Could it have been stolen? In fact, there are some people who have suggested that, well, Jesus never really did rise from the dead. These brave disciples sneaked past the Roman guards. They stole the body of Jesus. And then for the next 50 years, they fabricated a fantastic story that he had risen from the dead. Following this line of thinking, they would have then spent their entire lives they would have been transformed from people hiding in a room fearing their death to now have the, the great proponents of a conspiracy of their own making. They would have spent their entire lives dedicated to preserving this lie. They would have endured poverty, homelessness, suffering, torture, and even execution to preserve the lie that Jesus had risen. Does that sound like a very plausible explanation to you? Perhaps there's another possibility. And what 
Champions of the Word of God have declared for many years is if you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then you must, you must put forward a, a plausible theory for what happened to his body. You see, the question is this, could he really have risen from the dead? Well, let's see what the witnesses, the eyewitnesses have to say. And in what they say, there is not only, not only does their witness substantiate the fact of Jesus' resurrection, but it shows us what his resurrection brings for you and for me. And the first thing I'd have you notice is that the resurrection of Jesus, it brings to us a new relationship with God. Well, let's read on. Look at verse number, verse number three. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. Now that other disciple is John. John is writing and he doesn't like to, uh, he doesn't like to mention his name very often. So he says, well, Peter went and then that other guy. Well, we know he's talking about himself when he says the other guy. And, and it says this, Peter went forth and that other disciple, verse number four, so they ran both together. And here's a little bit of Bible humor for you. And the other disciple did outrun Peter. Why is that necessary for the, you know, I, just to know that the Holy Spirit has a sense of humor. He's like, John, write this down. And John's writing what the Holy Spirit gives him, and he's writing it down. It's like, yeah, Peter, Peter ran off. And I can just imagine he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and John's writing, and he says, can I really say that, Lord? All right. The other disciple did outrun Peter. But they both get there. And verse, and he came, and John comes first to the sepulchre, verse 5, and he's stooping down and looking in. He saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then, then come Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulchre and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, linen clothes but wrapped together in a place by itself. Do you see what they, 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 they peek in? And the one that's not sure if you should go in, you know, Jewish law, you can't come near a dead body. It's against the laws, but they're, they're investigating. And Mary says, it's gone. Somebody's stolen the body. And I can just see the disciples scratching their head and say, if the body's been stolen, why, why would they carefully fold up all the grave clothes? And why would they carefully lay that napkin that covered his face over there? And they found a neat and orderly scene. Verse 8, then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher. And he saw and what? Believed. I don't think he dared say it out loud. But he sees and in his heart that I, I just, with John, the hair must have stood up on his head at that moment. I feel the goosebumps and say, could it be? He's alive. He believed. I don't know that he said it out loud, but it says that John believed. Could it be that he rose from the dead? Verse 9, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They hadn't linked it together. They hadn't put all of the scriptures together. They hadn't made the connection that it was prophesied that Jesus himself said that he would rise from the dead. Now we see, that, we see that this resurrection of Jesus gives us a new relationship with God. Look at verse 10. 
Then the disciples went away again into their own home. It's like, what do you do next? I don't know. Let's go home. So they go home. But Mary, but Mary, this is Mary Magdalene who we're introduced to in, in the beginning. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And see if two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why are you crying? Well, I'm in a graveyard. That's what people do. Why are you crying? Why weepest thou? And she still doesn't realize what's happened. And she saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Remember, by now the sun has risen. Mary's in the tomb. It's dark in the tomb. And she hears someone behind her. And she turns around to face, and I just imagine Jesus is in the shadow and the sun is shining behind him, and she can't make out exactly who this is, and she's trying to see through her tear-stained eyes. Verse 15, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? He says, he says Ma'am, young woman, Hey, lady, why are you, it's not so personal yet. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And Mary supposed him to be the gardener. She says to him, sir, if thou have borne him away, if you've taken him somewhere, please tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, say it with me, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbani, which is to say, Master. And just in that moment, the, 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 the emotional transformation that takes place in Mary's heart, and she realizes it is him, it is you, when she hears his voice say her name. When he called her name, he said, Mary. And she says, it's you, it's Jesus. And she runs, to, she, she's ready to embrace him. And it says in verse number 17, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and what? And your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. There's so much in this first account of the witness of Jesus, but what is it that we see about this new relationship with God? Notice this, it is an open invitation to anyone. Anyone can come to Jesus, and Jesus will accept anyone. You say, Ethan, where are you seeing that from? I'm seeing it from this. The very first person to witness the resurrected Christ was who? It's Mary. The very first witness was Mary. There's a few significant things here. Not only was Mary the first, but after her it was the other women. 
This is one of the, this is, you'd say, well, why is that significant? Listen, we live in a wonderful time of wonderful equality for all people, regardless of gender or race or, or any of that. But in this day and age, it was not so. It was not so at all. In fact, in the Roman and the Jewish world, women were often poorly thought of and disregarded. It is no accident that the very first person, the very first people that Jesus appeared to were the women. But not just women, but you'll notice it was Mary Magdalene. And if you ever thought that Jesus came for good people, or if you ever thought that Jesus came for religious people, or if you ever thought that Jesus came for people who had their lives all together, and if you ever thought, well, Jesus, surely the resurrection, yes, I can believe that he rose from the dead, but surely he couldn't have risen for me. You need to be introduced to Mary Magdalene. You see, it says, and you can read about this in the gospel accounts, but in Mark 16, 9, we're reminded of this. Mark 16, 9 says, now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Mary Magdalene had a past. It says that Mary Magdalene, when Jesus met her, she was a demon-possessed woman. Her life was a disaster, her life was a mess, but Jesus came and said, follow me. And then when he resurrected, he said, you, Mary, you will be the first one. So to all who feel not good enough, to all who feel they can't measure up, Jesus has an open invitation. And notice also this relationship is personal. He calls her by name. Back in our text, it says that first he says woman, and then when he wants to reveal himself to her, he calls her by name. In verse number 16, Jesus says unto her, Mary. Mary, he calls her by name. Did you know that Jesus knows your name? Don't ever take that for granted. He knows, the, the Bible says this, Jesus said that my sheep, they know my voice. Jesus teaches that he is known by the sheep and he knows his sheep. Jesus knows your name. And his resurrection means he doesn't just say Mary, but he speaks to us personally. And he calls us with the voice of the Savior. It's personal. But not only that, Jesus introduces us to a love that's a fatherly kind of a love. Did you notice back in verse number 17? He said, Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. Go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and what? And your Father. Unto my God and your God that we would be, through the resurrection of Jesus, we can be united to Christ and the Father. People, the, the, the people had never seen anyone pray like Jesus prayed. Jesus would go apart and he would say, Father, my Father. And the disciples for three years had watched him be one with his Father and communicate with God the Father. And now Jesus says, because of the resurrection, Mary, I know you personally, but you can now go directly to who? The Father. You can go to the Father. You and I, we're born into this world. We're born into this world, the Bible teaches, sinful. We don't have a healthy relationship with God. We have a broken relationship with God. Our sin has separated us. But Jesus says, because of the resurrection, you can now approach God. The Father. We sang it in that song. Boldly I approach the Father. 
clothed in Jesus' righteousness. It's because he rose, he proved that his death was enough to forgive us. Because of the resurrection, you can have a new relationship with God. Go on, though. The, the, the story continues. The movement, the excitement just builds because more. she goes back, she tells the disciples, and we know from some of the other accounts, well, John, he believes, but he's keeping quiet. The other disciples are like, you ladies, you don't know. You're confused. He can't have really risen. Look what happens. Verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst. The doors were shut. They're in hiding. And Jesus just walks in. He walks through the door, if you will. He just appears before them, resurrected. And it says in the end of verse number 19, look what Jesus said. And Jesus said unto them, would you read with me what Jesus said? Jesus said to them, ready? Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. Can you hear the, the Hebrew greeting of the day? What, and what we even know today, Jesus steps in and shalom. He says, I want you to have peace. And they're just completely blown away by this. Up until now, they have been, uh, up until now, they have been in fear. They've been in disillusionment. But Jesus says peace, and he says it twice. Again, if you look down in verse 21, or 20, it says, And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, what's he say? Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Jesus is giving them hope. These disciples are troubled. Their souls are troubled. And Jesus offers them hope. He says, peace twice. He says, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. There's, there's this hope that Jesus gives. There's a few things that he does for the disciples. Their lives are changed. In just a few days, you're seeing, you're seeing men who were hopeless, men who were in fear of their very lives. And in a couple of days, in at the day of Pentecost, you're going to see these same men boldly proclaiming the risen Christ. You're going to see them speaking to thousands of people. What changed? What transformed men who were once fearful and afraid for their life? It's the, it's the hope that the resurrection gives. It's the transformation that the resurrection brings. I see three things in here. I see peace, power, and purpose. Did you see the peace that he promised them? We saw it twice did you, see the, did you see the power? He said in verse, number, in verse number 22, he says, receive the Holy Ghost. He gives them the Holy Ghost now to give them not a strength of their own, but a strength that, is, that can only come from his presence with them. And then he gives them a new purpose. Believer, do you remember what your purpose is? The purpose is back in verse number, back in verse number 21, when he says, peace, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so what? Send I you. He says, 
to the men and women gathered there, he says, you've got a new purpose for your life. There's peace that comes from Christ and there's power through his Holy Spirit and then a purpose for living. Could I ask you this morning this? Where do you find peace? Where do you get your power? And what's the purpose of your life? I think these questions are questions that our generation is struggling to find answers to. If you observe, there's just a restlessness around us. We come through through we, we come through two years of we come through two years of the pandemic, and, and now we see war and on, on the on the on the news every day. People are troubled. We see opioid addiction around us. We see division in our nation. We've even seen division in churches. We live in spiritually troubled days. But they're not days that are particularly unique to the history of the world. There have always been days like this. Can you be a person who finds peace and power and purpose? You see, our, our world is, is plagued with these struggles. There is no peace. And we see people turn to a lot of things. People turn to alcohol or drugs. They turn to relationships. They're trying to find enough strength to cope. And then the purpose question, really, at the end of our lives, what is it all for? What's it all for? What are we living for? You can build up. We, we see the world focus on different things. Some people, their goal in life seems to be, well, if I can just accumulate as many toys as I can, and whoever, win, whoever has the most toys at the end, they win. Seems to be that's how some people live, doesn't it? Other people, they, uh, they just say, well, if I could just have a good family, and, 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 but then families have turmoil and relationships have dysfunction. Others, they want, their, they want their, uh, their stock portfolio, their retirement fund to climb so they can retire. But the question always has to come back to this. For what? For what? People live for pleasure, success, and personal fulfillment. But Jesus says, there's a better life. There's a better life. See, there's a resurrected Savior who says, follow me. Can I, as many people worldwide have turned away from what they perceive as religion, it's really no doubt why. If, if For many, there are, there are churches you could go to where a, a, a supposed pastor or church leader would stand up and he doesn't even believe or she doesn't even believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, why would I need a religion like that in my life? Why would I need that? I can be entertained. I mean, in some churches, they try to do a good job entertaining or providing a sense of community, all of that. Listen, I can, Hollywood can entertain far better than the church or any religion can. The sports world can entertain far better. Our communities are full of plenty of opportunities to have connections, plenty of opportunities to connect with other people. We can find that anywhere. I don't need that in the church. But if the church would get back to the work of Jesus, which is introducing people to him, and he's not a dead savior. He's not a savior that has come to burden you with the law. He's a savior who's really alive and really resurrected and offers to change your life, to change my life, 
to give us this peace, this power, and this purpose. You see, there's a, there's a message. Jesus would talk about this back in John chapter 10. There's a message that, that there is a thief in this world. And the Bible says the thief comes not, he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I am come that they might have life. And that they might have it more abundantly. We are a faith of life. The resurrection of Jesus means a new relationship with God. It means hope through peace and power and purpose for my life. And then finally, the resurrection can break through and give faith to even the most skeptical. There's one more witness, and his name is Thomas. If you grew up in Sunday school, you've heard him referred to as Doubting Thomas. Verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We've seen the Lord! We've seen him! But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, say it with me, I will not believe. He says, I believe in science. I want to see it. Prove it. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, well, there he goes again. What did he say? Peace be unto you. And he turns and he looks at who? Looks at Thomas. Now, about now, Thomas is standing, mouth agape, jaw dropped. All his doubts have crumbled. And he says to Thomas, Thomas, reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Can I, Jesus, now look what Jesus says next. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. Did you notice in here how Jesus does not treat Thomas? He doesn't come and say, Thomas, what is wrong with you, man? What? Get out of here. You're not worthy to be my disciple. If you wouldn't believe it the first time, I got no room for doubts. You'll never find that in the scripture. In fact, the Bible says, that you study the scriptures, you study it, doubts are actually expected. There are some people that will say something like this. They'll say something like, well, you just need to take a blind leap of faith. How many of you have ever heard something like that? 
Well, my friends, it would be a blind leap of faith to believe in the Easter bunny. But it's not a blind leap of faith to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And what Jesus is doing here is he is, the whole point of this account, I believe, is to show us, to demonstrate to us that people will have their doubts and Jesus says, bring your doubts to me. And what happens is the doubts, the doubts are surrendered at the feet of Jesus. Thomas says, Thomas, when he, when he sees Christ, he falls on his knees and he says, I believe. He says, my Lord, my God. His doubts are surrendered. You'd say, well, surely, if Jesus would do that for me, if he'd show up in the room right now, then yes, I would believe. But what did Jesus say next? He says, you don't actually have to see to believe. He said, blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. You say, Ethan, I thought this was, a, I thought this was a, a, not a blind leap of faith. He, he says, blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. He, here's why. Because faith in the Bible is not about seeing, it's about hearing. Did you know that? Faith in the Bible is not about seeing, it's about hearing. The Bible says this, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. See, the whole point, what you say, why do we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Why do we have the epistles? Because we have the written eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. There is more documentation for the historicity of the Gospels than for any ancient manuscripts in existence. If you simply look at the gospel records as a historical document and not as divinely inspired, if you were to do that, you would still have to wrestle with the fact that in the first century, wide, it was widely believed that Jesus rose from the dead. So if he did not, what is your explanation? We're okay with the doubts. In fact, we've got resources that, that to, to give people. If you are listening to this and you say, but I want to examine the evidence a little bit more. The Bible actually encourages you to examine the evidence. Bring your doubts to Jesus. He was okay with Thomas. He handled Thomas' doubts. I have a friend. He and I had lunch recently. He told me his story and his religious upbringing, and he told me that he had come to follow a lot of Buddhist teachings. Very common now to meet people like that. And we had a really good conversation. He shared with me that he followed many of the teachings of Buddhism. And so I asked him this question, which is a question I like to ask people. I said to my friend, well, let me ask you this. What if Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. What if he really rose from the dead? And in that moment, he understood what I was asking him because do you know what his response was? He said, well, if he did, then I'll have some explaining to do at the pearly gates. Now, he said it kind of tongue-in-cheek as a bit of a joke. But it was a serious response when you think about it, wasn't it? Because the truth is this. If Jesus is who he said he was, and if Jesus really rose from the dead, then we all will stand before him someday. 
And the question will not be, how good of a person were you? The question will not be, did you go to church? The question will not be, what did you make of your life? The question will be, did you accept or reject the Savior of the world? Did you believe on or did you ignore the Son of God? That is the ultimate question for all of eternity. You see, a risen Savior is the greatest hope for a weary sinner. But a risen Savior is the greatest fear for a prideful man or woman. Because all of your pride, all of my accomplishment will amount to nothing at the judgment seat. The ultimate question will be, what did you do with Jesus? In fact, look at the concluding verses to the passage. Verse number 30 says this. It says, many other things, signs, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. In other words, he said, there's a lot more I could tell you about Jesus. Verse 31, these are written that you might what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Have you believed on Jesus as your Savior? Have you put your faith in Christ. If you never have, you'll have some serious explaining. Well, there won't be any explaining. There'll be only judgment at the end of your life. But if you have received Christ, there is life and joy and eternal peace. Have you made that decision? If you have not, I want to invite you to do it today. And if you have, will you live Monday with the realization of what Jesus accomplished on Sunday. Could we do this? Let's just have a time of reflection. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you close your eyes? I just would like to ask these questions once more as we conclude. It doesn't matter if you've gone to church your whole life or if this is the very first time you've ever been to church. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you know the Bible or you don't know the Bible. Do you know for sure that Jesus is your Savior? Do you know for sure that you have put your faith and trust in Him and Him alone? If not, I want to invite you to do it right now. Where you sit, where you watch, where you listen to this message, wherever you are in this moment, Jesus says, just like He said to Mary, He knows your name. Whatever your name, He'll call out your name. And, he'll receive, and He will receive you if you will receive Him. In faith, just say, Dear Jesus, I do believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that He died and rose again for me. And today I ask You to save me. I ask You to save me. I believe You died and rose again. I put my full faith and my full trust in You. Would you do that right now, in this moment? If you've done that today for the first time, I'd, I'd ask you just to let us know. Let me know after the service. Say, today, Ethan. In fact, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, 
Maybe you'd say, Ethan, for the first time today, I put my trust in Jesus. Just quickly, I, I won't embarrass you or call out your name, but I do want to pray for you. Would you just put your hand up, put it down? Yes, today is the day I made sure. Today, for the first time, I put my faith and trust in Christ. If you're watching online this morning, just send us a private message. Let us know how we can pray for you, how we can help you grow in your walk with Christ. Christian, let's just have a time of quiet prayer as we prepare to conclude this service. Just speak to the Lord. Maybe, maybe you've been defeated. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you've forgotten that Jesus knows your name. Maybe you're not living in that peace. Maybe you've lost your purpose. Let Easter Sunday 2022 be the day that you recommit your life, that you resurrender to Jesus. Call out to Him this quiet moment. we thank you so much for the sacrifice you made of your son Jesus Christ. We thank you for the new relationship, Lord. We thank you for the hope that you give us and the faith that we have in you. Father, we pray that if someone here today does not know you as their Savior, that today would be a day that they would put their faith and trust in you. God, we pray now that as we sing this song to you, you would just help us to be reminded over and over again of your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.